Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel one by one. We will be spoiler free of details of future episodes, but we are spoilers full for any time we need to discuss episodes from the past. I'm Jason, and I like my blood on the rocks. I'm Harrison, but today you can call me Fake Moby, a.k.a. Doppeldiener. Doppeldiener, <laughs> a.k.a. the bellhop in this episode. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, Jason, what episode are we watching? We are watching Angel Season 2, Episode 2, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? We'll get to the... We'll get to the uh, significance of that title in the episode proper. Mm-hmm. But this is the one where Angel returns to the Hyperion Hotel um, after having stumbled across it in the uh, pilot, in the, not the pilot part, sorry, <laughs> the season two premiere, and uh, is trying to basically make up for a mistake that he made in the 1950s, which we get to see a lot of. Yeah. Are You Now or Have You Ever Been the Member of the Communist Party? Uh, was written by our dudes Tim Minear and David Semmel, a.k.a. Hotcakes. Uh, that's just what the name I came up for him right now. Okay. Uh, uh, check out more of David Semmel's work, like his direction on Star Trek Discovery, returning to Paramount Plus tomorrow. Um, a.k.a. today, actually, if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... And it originally aired on October 3rd, 2000. Intro music. Hit it, motherfucker. Alright, Jason. What are you drinking? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Harrison was nice enough to give me a cream ale. Mm -hmm. Uh... (laughs) Which sounds gross when I have to say it like that. Um, Jason, don't tell. Oh my god. <laughs> That's behind closed doors. <laughs> um, I haven't tried it yet. I've been waiting to uh, start the episode. But I mean, I'm always down for a good beer. Yeah, it's a very pretty beer. Yeah, uh, very very nice to look at. Nice color. Mm-hmm. John bought that yesterday. He went to Whole Foods and he got some duck. Uh, he made duck for dinner and got some nice wine and... This nice beer is lovely. You know, I'm actually, uh, I I have like an idea of making like a small dinner for my parents for Thanksgiving coming up. Um, happy early Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I was, and this recipe recommends like a, you know, smaller dinner, chicken over turkey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you can like actually cover the chicken in duck fat mm. and uh now and i'm just trying to think of where i could get that but i guess whole foods might be a good place to go whole foods yeah um except that whole foods kind of annoys me well fair <laughs> but i mean it <laughs> might be it might be the best place to go yeah um they do have some of the nicer stuff you might uh not to, uh kingsley's also might be a good place right. um so uh, Harrison, what are you drinking? I am drinking some sake, which I actually haven't poured yet. Um, and what uh, what brought about the sake uh, choice? Uh, John came home with sake yesterday. Oh, there you go. Um, I, and we hadn't had it in a while, actually, because he also went to Total Wine, and um, apparently that was, he was like, ooh, sake. Um, and I was like, I love sake. And I don't think sake's, to my knowledge, ever I've ever drunk it on the show. 
Um, well, you definitely have not had it whilst we have recorded together. Right. So it would have predated me being on the show if you had. Yeah. Um, I am not partaking in the sake because I had a warm sake when uh, I went to Disney World. Uh, we were doing the whole drink around the world thing. A couple of friends and I were. was not impressed by <laughs> it. <laughs> Not Jason's thing, but we have a lovely beer for Jason. Oh, it's so nice. All right, take us away, Jason, on a toast. Well, this um, this toast actually is for Harrison and John. Oh. Um, uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail about this, but um, I was recently in a show which uh, Harrison and John came to see because they're wonderfully supportive. And uh, afterwards, uh, the night that they came, they asked me out to dinner. And we went to dinner, and it was lovely. Mm -hmm. And um, but it was also very lucky that I went to dinner because had I not, had I gone straight home, my life actually might have been in danger. And uh, so, very thankful for that luck and for having wonderful friends like Harrison and John to invite me to dinner. Thank you. I'm glad that you're okay. Thank you. Cheers. Mm, yep. That is a good beer. I can, you know, I was drinking that and I was like, well, I really like it. I was like, oh, I can totally see how this would not be some people's bag. Yeah. You know that there's that whole thing about cilantro where like, like if you have a certain gene, like cilantro mm -hmm. taste. I've often wondered if that's like just cilantro or if it is like. It's tied to other things. Other things. Like does what something tastes like to me. Is it that completely different from what it might taste like to you? I've always been very curious about that. I don't know the answer because I'm not smart about those sorts of things. Um, but I'm, I'm very curious. So if we have any tongue scientists out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, also, uh, completely unrelated, but sort of. You know what I had for the first time yesterday? Oat milk. Oh. I never had that before. Yeah, I've never um, had oat milk either. I've had almond milk, but... The, uh, it was just on sale at Kroger, and um, I've recently seen a video where... Uh, like kind of like debating what the best milk is barring any allergies or anything like that and i don't have any allergies uh to any type of milk and they said that uh, oat milk tends to be the one with the best nutrients and nutrient delivery into your system so i gave it a shot and uh not what i was expecting texture's a little different from normal milk and uh also tasted like toasted marshmallow Oh yeah, no, it's like <laughs> it, it's it wasn't bad. It's just like when I took a drink, I was wasn't expecting it. There now, I got just the regular kind, but there is like an extra creamy kind as well, like variety. And I kind of wonder if that might be closer to milk or maybe even further mm. away from milk. I really don't know. It was an interesting experience, and I've still got like the half gallon. I only yeah. had like one drink of it, but moving forward, maybe. Word cream has been used a lot. In episode, <laughs> yeah. where, where I'm very proud of us. 69% <laughs> gain. Yeah. Yes, inching towards that goal. But you know what? Let's talk about Angel. Yes. And uh, let's talk about this hotel. Um, <sighs> yeah, you, do you want to start us off? No, 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 you go. No, no, I no, just... no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Like, open us up. Open it up for us. I fucking love this episode. I know I've said that many times. Like, I love this episode. I this might be so one of the good. most unique episodes mm -hmm. of 
angel that we have had to date. Yeah. I was trying to think of it while I was watching. I was like, what is it about this episode that I like so much? Um, And part of it is that it is the proper introduction outside of its cameo in the premiere of the Hyperion Hotel. Um, Which, as you know, that's going to be our new base of operations. It's a gorgeous set. Mm -hmm. It's... So much, I mean, you know, Angel's office was charming in season one, but it had very little character. It was really small and really cramped, which is why they blew it up and why they built this set. Um, it's just... Also, it could be like kind of a sign that uh, the network had faith in Angel going forward. So yeah. it's like, hey, let's give them more money for the budget. Oh, absolutely. And um, there will be a set... That features prominently in season five that is, I would argue, a little more impressive visually. Um, it can't beat the Hyperion. But so. the Hyperion just ha There's a soul to the Hyperion that yeah. I really love. And so th- that's exciting. And, but, it, and it is great that like it gets kind of its own episode intro. Yeah, too. I love that. But as I was watching it, I was like, oh, actually, I know what it is I love so much about this episode. And it is the flashback. And it's the murky gray area that we see Angel operating in during the flashback. And, you know, I love, I fucking love these, anytime we get a flashback that's pre-Buffy, but post-insult, yeah, pre-Buffy and post-insultment. Um, because, I mean, there's a couple hundred years worth of material there. And, and um, in this yeah. episode, I feel like, is mostly flashback. It's mostly flashback, Which yeah. is, um... That's that seems to be fairly new. Like that doesn't seem to be something that happens too often. Yeah. Maybe in uh becoming part one, but I think even then that was still like maybe fifty fifty. Uh yeah, it's de- definitely not the I mean, our A story is the flashback in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like bar none. Um and it's just it's an emotionally intense episode. I think David Boreanaz is really, really great in it. Um, the actress who plays Judy, I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Got it for you. Um, Melissa Marcella. She's really good. I, <laughs> let's just get this out of the way. This actress is not black. She is, I looked it up. She is, uh, of, uh, Sicilian and Chinese descent. Um, yeah. So that's but, a little problematic, but we um, can't do anything about it. So, so anyway. interesting. I'm looking at the cast right now, and the Thessalac demon is played by Tony Amendola. I did not know that, and he was uncredited. Tony Amendola is more probably best known as being uh, Braytac in Stargate SG-1. Okay. Um, and I believe he was also Geppetto in Once Upon a Time. Oh, Let me, uh, that yeah, guy! Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, uh, yep, that's it. It's oh. like, uh, yeah, he played Braytac. He played Master Braytac in Stargate SG One. Um, he had a recurring role in Continuum, and he played Pinocchio's creator slash father Geppetto on ABC's Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, my favorite bad show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Angel obviously um, came across the Hyperion in the previous episode. And uh, it's uh, it's been resting on his mind. So he asked Angel and he asked Wesley and Cordelia to uh, do some research into uh, what happened with the Hyperion. And 
he doesn't really tell them why he wants to do the research. He just says, do the research. It was built in 1920. Just start from the beginning. And that's when we get the flashbacks that start. And it is 1952. And while we are panning across the lobby, we see uh, the infamous Senator Joseph McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's a history lesson. History! Um, so, in the 50s, following the Allies defeating world, defeating the Axis powers in World War II, Russia, the, uh, excuse me, the Soviet Union was on the rise, and uh, communism began to become the big threat to America. The Red Scare, as it were. Yes, and at this point, Senator Joseph McCarthy established HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Council, Mm -hmm. which um, did investigations into basically anybody who could get, who was reported, and to see whether they are a commie or not, and they would face jail time, Uh, and there were lots, and basically, basically this is like a modern America, a modern day witch hunt, Mm -hmm. and uh, the episode title is a reference to the what the people on the council would ask those accused are you now or have you ever been a member of the communist party there you go so it's so funny that you refer to it as a witch hunt because um arthur miller's the crucible which is uh the plot is about the salem witch trials but thematically the show is about this time period because um uh and it's the, it's it's something with the crucible. I think people forget because we're so far not so far, but we are relatively far removed. It's been over fifty years since this happened. Um, that they don't realize that the crucible was um, quite frankly quite dangerous for Arthur Miller to have been to have written um, because people's careers and lives were ruined over this like so i think um my the first movie that i have that comes to mind is uh trumbo Mm -hmm. with Um, brian cranston yes brian cranston plays dalton trumbo uh he was a very uh famous screenwriter and uh he's most probably most known for writing the screenplay for spartacus Mm -hmm. uh but the but yes, the um, this movie follows him in the time period when he it, when he and other writers throughout Hollywood are being accused by the red meat eating Americans like John Wayne of being uh, of being commies. Yep. So, and hey, you know what? Socialism is still a dirty word used by. Uh, used by the right wing Mm -hmm. to basically like, oh, hey, guys, remember the communists? They were socialists, so this is bad. Uh, But, yes, so unfortunately I don't think we ever got out of the Red Scare. No, it's Uh, just... Oh, and that's the thing, right? It's... it's, But, yeah, it it always... It's the same shit with a different name and a different mask. Yep. Uh, But the... And it's... And obviously this is something we have to look back on in history because... A lot of people considered the um, first 15 years after World War II as being a time of prosper, like the golden age of America, 
uh, because you know, like, oh, you had the nuclear family and everything. Everybody had a house, and um, it, like, uh, you, everybody was like married and had jobs. And while this is what it looked like on the surface, the Red Scare was just one of the many things that are kind of that were kind of ignored at the time, yeah. but now are like actually being looked into, and um, the paranoia that your neighbor could. If they, like, got pissed at you, they could, you know, send the government on you. Uh, that paranoia is a theme that is very apparent in this episode. Yep. Uh, see also, Julianne Moore's section of the hours. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we have uh, our first reveal that Angel is an occupant in room 417? I think it was 217. Definitely 17. Isn't that the isn't that the room from The Shining? Yes. Um, so that yes, it or is that two three seven? So um, actually, this is some trivia that was in the wiki that I looked at earlier. All right. So it is. Um, oh, it is two one seven. I said that right here. Yeah, he's in two one seven. Um, in the book, it's room two one seven. In the movie. It's room 237. Okay. Because the hotel where they filmed it at um, had a room 217, but didn't have a room 237 and requested that they change it because they were um, they were concerned that no one would ever want to book that room. Fair enough. Which I think is true of the time that movie was released. I think nowadays you would want to make sure. Oh yeah, that, like, like people go, like people ask, like, oh yeah, that that room has been booked like two years. Yeah, you two, want it's to full stay for two years in the Shining. Room. Um, but yes, uh, the the concierge uh, Ronald Meeks uh, asked the bellhop Frank to deliver the weekly bill to room two one seven. He's just like, hey, that guy gives me the creeps. Uh, he goes upstairs and um, like. Makes a quick knock on the door, runs away, leaves the bill there, and we find out the occupant is, of course, Angel. On hell. Um, and Angel is basically just kind of living in the hotel and staying away from everybody. Uh, he uh, goes out and buys blood. Uh, or maybe not buys blood, but he, like, steals, like, bottles of it that look like they're from a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, probably doesn't buy it. <laughs> I, I saw the bag, the paper bag, and that's what kind of threw me. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, going to get his, yeah, he's going to get some ice, uh, when, one day when he, uh, sees there is, um, he sees like a whole bunch, he sees this guy talking to nobody, it seems mm-hmm. like. And then, um, and then when he comes back, he sees that there is a woman who we find out later is Judy, uh, in his room. And she's like, oh, uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll be right out. And uh, he's like, you're not a maid. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's no cleaning tr- There's no cleaning cart outside. Those sheets are dirty, and you're not the right color. And I will say, I did note this episode does take some, take some effort to show the racism that was prominent in mm-hmm. the 50s because uh in the very first kind of like scene after the opening credits they do show a black family trying to check into the hotel and the uh and the concierge just say like oh i'm sorry about the sign it says there's no vacancies but uh and the black man is like 
really. Yep. Uh, It's very subtle, but it's it's definitely there. And it paints a good picture of this, um, I mean, honestly, exactly what you were saying before. This, you know, pristine picture of what America looked like at this time and what it wanted you to think it was and this gross underbelly. Yeah. Because you also have, like... um, the the guy the, the gay guy staying in the room who's mm-hmm. clearly modeled on Rock Hudson um and like you know um and it, it's good because it, you know everyone has these secrets and things that they have to protect and that just makes them more susceptible to the paranoia all of a sudden being a vampire doesn't seem like such a huge <laughs> secret anymore uh but um and yeah and not to get too political here but us never. <laughs> but uh, let me get on my soapbox for a minute. <laughs> Basically, since Ronald Reagan, the Republican Party has their core beliefs is that the 1950s, like the picturesque Leave It to Beaver 1950s, is America is peak America, and that is what we have to try to preserve. Mm-hmm. Those are the conservative values that. America wants to preserve. And of course, those values don't contain people of color, gay people, poor people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So thank you, Ronald Reagan, for being a piece of shit. Yeah. And you know what? Also, Not that great of an actor. And fuck you, Nancy. You were also a bitch. Yeah. AIDS, you are one of the reasons that AIDS was a problem. Yep. Uh,. All right, stepping <laughs> off of the soapbox, very angry soapbox. But yes, um, this woman saying that uh, she she like can't she can't leave because the uh, her boyfriend is kind of a jealous guy. Angel says, "Well, you shouldn't be going into other men's rooms." Yep. Solid point. <laughs> uh, but yes, he does notice that the door that he just locked is slowly becoming unlocked. And uh, we've got our uh, private eye there. Um, this guy's a dick. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. He's a private dick. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, and uh, so the guy's like, oh, well, um, yeah, there's, yeah, like, where's the girl? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, oh, then you don't mind me coming in. And, uh, and so he starts to come in, and Angel slams the door right in his face, like, ah, I guess I do mind. Which is great because when he shows up later, it's like uh, he's got that uh, he's got that bandage on his nose. Yeah. It reminds me of a I have been, I told you um, I told you uh, a little while back that I've been watching season three of The Americans, mm-hmm. which opens up with like uh, with Carrie Russell just kicking the shit out of Agent Gad. <laughs> it shows the scene later in the episode where he's. He's got the black eyes and the bandage over his nose. Uh, and that makes me think of the season one scene where Faith beats the shit out of Lee Mercer. <laughs> R.I.P. little rat face fuck boy. <laughs> um, Pour one out for him. Um, and we get that great shot of his like fucked up face. <laughs> while gorgeous Lila and Lindsay are standing there being two of the hottest people on the planet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think I lost track of what we were talking about here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and um, but yeah, so Judy's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, um, thank you so much. But then he like closes the door on her. He does, he wants nothing to do with uh, with his girl. He's trying to keep to himself. Yeah, 
Um, because, I mean, yeah. People would be freaked the fuck out if uh, you've got a communist witch hunt going on. <laughs> what happens when you drop a vampire into that? Right. Mix? Well, it's just, it, he's just, I mean, this is tying into kind of where we saw him in um, in Becoming, where he's a de- an even lower place. Yeah. Uh, literally living on the streets. Um, and kind of what the theme has been since the beginning, he's so detached from humanity. Yeah, and... And you look at Angel now, and you look at Angel in this flashback, and you see the you see the difference. You're like, wow, can't believe Angel would do something like that. Like, well, yeah. And as he says later in the episode, he's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's go back or let's go forward fifty <laughs> years, and uh, Wesley and Cordelia. Find out that the hotel closed because uh, the concierge took a shotgun and killed every guest. Oh, that's uh, terrifying. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, but yes, the hotel has been a landmark. Uh, the owners have been trying to get rid of it, but they can't because, you know, it has just a history of murder and horror in it. Um but yeah, like it, even when the hotel was being constructed, one of the roofers jumped to its death, and um, jumped to his death, took two of his coworkers with it. Uh, so they are really trying to find out why Angel wanting to look into this until they discover a photo from 1952 where they see Angel. And guess what? Vampires can be photographed, <laughs> but according to Cordelia, not, not well. well. <laughs> Which I thought was very unfair. I thought it was... I think it's a decent photograph. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think an argument could like be was, made... And it's not like he was posing for it. Right. I, I think an argument could be made that there probably aren't any bad pictures of David Boreanaz. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude is hot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we go back to the 50s, and... Uh, Angel's trying to just, you know, have his blood on the rocks. And, well, not on the rocks. He has chilled the blood. Yep. And, uh, which is interesting because I guess I always just assume that the best blood is right from the vein, so warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, and maybe Spike said that at some point. Or maybe I'm getting Vampire Diaries mixed no, up with it. I feel like there's definitely was some moment where we've seen Spike like microwaving his blood. Or like maybe Giles was microwaving yeah. the blood for him or something. Um, oh, and um, I almost forgot. There was a really cute part at the beginning of the episode when uh, Angel's look, first showing them the Hyperion files, Wesley and Cordy. And uh, she's like... And Cordy brings out the okay. drinks. She's like, This is what I was about yeah, to say. Was- English breakfast tea. Like, English breakfast tea. Uh, coffee for me and oh pause and, <laughs> and Angel's like I think it's starting to coagulate and she's like no no that's cinnamon which I mean I don't know I I, I don't know one way or the other because I've never drank blood um, except for like as a kid it, like licking a scrape that I had or something um, but it was cute um, yeah no I appreciate that uh, well the thing is is like I don't know if he could taste it because it seems to have been established before in uh, I Will Remember You that, I mean, he couldn't taste chocolate. Like, he when he ate chocolate, he's just like, oh my god, like, he freaked out about chocolate. I so, think there was a line where, like, at some point, where the vampires can taste, 
but it's like really dull. Okay. I might that might be it. Um because a minor spoiler for a not important plot point <laughs> later on in season 5 of Buffy, but we find out that Spike really fucking loves these like blooming onion things that the bronze That's makes. right. I forgot about so, that. So um maybe it's an inconsistency or maybe Angel's just such a broody fucking dude. <laughs> that he, I, that's all. That, that always is a factor. That he's like, I don't eat. Cho- I can't eat chocolate because I was too evil in the past. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I can only but, drink Cordy's crappy coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So uh, while Angel's trying to drink, and I like, uh, I do like how uh, the Buffy Wiki specifies in his room, Angel broods while drinking blood. I mean. <laughs> Default mode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so in the next room, a salesman is playing polk, a polka record. Sure. Why not? And uh, But yeah, then he uh, grabs a gun and commits suicide. Um, yeah, so Angel definitely hears it, but he just doesn't care. Yeah. Or if he does care, he's just trying to stay away from it. And I can understand that. It's a little... You know, it's a little tough seeing our guy this way. And I, I appreciate it from a storytelling perspective. And, but, damn, if I'm not just like, no, Angel, you're a hero. <laughs> you're a champion for good. But, uh, but yeah, so the concierge and Frank, <laughs> the doppeldiener, uh, <laughs> do, they do show up. Um, and uh, he's like, and uh, the bellhop is like, hey, do I have to, who should I call first, the carpet cleaner or the cops? He's like, you're not calling anybody. Just put his body in the meat locker. Right. Like, whew. Yeah. Gross. Because he gets, we, we hear something whispering to him. like mm-hmm. The hotel um, will close. Yeah. Because this is, I think, what did he say? It's like the third suicide yeah. in as many months. Um, and, which, uh, yikes. And then you've got uh, downstairs in the lobby, you've got guests that include an actor, a screenwriter, and a... Uh, Model? A blonde woman? Blonde woman? <laughs> you know, that, the three t- Hollywood types. Yeah. Actor, screenwriter, and blonde woman. Yeah, and you know, and, the, and the, of course the blonde woman later gets accused of soliciting. Because, yeah. uh, you know, women in the 50s. Mm-hmm. If you're not married, you're a whore. Yep. Uh, but, um, sorry, I just immediately thought of that wasp uh, joke from Family Guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that's high humor right there. Uh because I didn't get it at first when I saw it, but then, like, later on when I found out what the term wasp actually meant, I'm like, oh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is some funny shit right there. Uh, John and I have been rewatching Gilmore Girls and, you know, talk about some wasps. wasps. That is a wasp <laughs> nest right there. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but yeah, and so all of the guests are basically saying, oh, was it a suicide or was it a murder? And you can actually see another guest hears that voice saying that, like, oh, somebody killed him. And so then he starts, like, fanning the flames of the paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Angel runs into Judy. And uh, they, they're talking about the suicide. Could have been a murder. But uh, Judy does thank Angel for helping her. And that's when Angel kind of like lets down his walls a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh because you know i mean 
when somebody tells you that they're grateful for helping them, that's that's that gives you a good feeling. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so interesting to watch Angel. Um, you know, actually, it's kind of funny. It's uh, this ties into the conversation you and I were having off mic about uh, the Doctor Who episode, The Waters of Mars, of how Angel, this experience with Judy, Angel starts to open this door of, you know, rediscovering his humanity. Mm-hmm. Because you have to think at this slamming point... Slamming it just yeah, closed. Yeah, because you end. have to think at this point, he is, um... He's like maybe a hundred years reinsold. Let's see, when was he... 1800s? No. Sometime in the 1800s. Okay. Let, let's just ballpark it at 100 years. Yeah. But, I mean, he did spend so much time uh, as... He did spend so much time as the soulless monster that now he has these human emotions. And I can understand, like, not wanting them in. Because you let one in, then the guilt will come in, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, 1898. So, actually, about 50 years. Okay. Uh, but still, I mean... yeah. That's not an insignificant amount of time. Yeah, so Wesley and Cordelia, they uh, they find out that um, the murder of the salesman, because it was eventually determined to be a murder, uh, even though that's wrong, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it was actually pinned on the bellhop, the doppeldiener, and uh, his name's Frank, but... I don't give a shit. Doppeldiener. Doppeldiener. Watch Community, you guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he was arrested, convicted, and executed. Um, and, uh, they see 1952, and they notice, like, oh, wait a minute, that's when Angel was there. Um, they also find out that, like, Judy was believed to be dead as well in 1952. They never saw her again. Um, so, uh, as he, as Angel's going into the hotel, he realizes in the past... Sorry, I'm, I'm not being very clear with the <laughs> yeah. time jumps. Yeah, flashback. Angel is um, noticing that all the guests are becoming like, oh, they're really freaking out about this. Uh, oh, is it a suicide? Is it a murder? Um, Judy does ask Angel to come in, and she says that like she's really nervous because the police are looking for her, and um, she's very paranoid. And Angel's like, why are the police looking for you? And she reveals that she stole a whole bunch of money from a bank that she was working at. Hello, Marion Crane. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, but, and uh, she did that because the bank was going to fire her. Mm-hmm. Because, and you mentioned this before, but uh, she reveals that she has been masquerading as a white person despite the fact she's actually of mixed heritage. Yep. Um, her mother was black, mm-hmm. and uh, but she never knew her father, who was white, and she obviously looks predominantly white. Yeah. And this is... I'm not going to speak too much about it, because obviously I, I don't know yeah, a huge amount of this it. This is not a side of the life we are uh, right. accustomed um, to. But I, this is a thing. Um, I, know that I know that, yes, there are people who are so light-skinned that they are successfully able to... Uh, to live their lives as a white person, but that also that is, in its own way, pretty traumatic. Um, it's I, ooh, I don't I don't know if what I'm about to say is icky or not. So, 
please, listeners, call me out if this is shitty, but uh, in my mind, it's kind of the equivalent of being closeted um, if you're queer um, and how that's very traumatic and uh, stressful and... I would, yeah. I mean, given the... I mean, given the way that things were in the 50s, I don't think that's a false equivalence. Um, I mean, granted, this is a white straight person telling you, yeah, saying and, that, so... Yeah, and so, yeah, I hope what we're saying is not offensive. Um, and, and yeah, if it is, please tell us, mm-hmm. because we are always open to learning and being better. But I... And, of course, black people and queer people face similar but still very different challenges. And and we here at Booze and Buffy advocate that uh, your sexuality is just as essential to you as the color of your skin. Um, so, um, but that's just, that's how I like kind of can contextualize it in my mind with my own life experiences. Um, knowing that I do not have the same life experiences as black women do. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, so Angel decides that he's going to help Judy. Um, he helps, so he hides the money in the hotel's basement, because uh, she was originally thinking that she was going to uh, send the money back. To the, she was thinking that she was, she should send it back, and that maybe they'll forgive her. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so Angel, Angel says, maybe, I don't know. Because um, she's, like, asking him, do you believe in forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Is important. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So Angel is still like kind of investigating the hotel, and he does in fact find the untouched money. Uh, but he does hear the whispering, uh, that whispering voice. And uh, <laughs> what is this? The souls of the dead on the island and lost. <laughs> but uh, so. Wesley is figuring out that people are paranoid, that maybe there's a mystical force doing that, and Cordelia immediately says, like, yeah, it's a Thessalac demon. <laughs> and and the look on Wesley's face, just like, how the fuck did you know that? But Angel, then she hands him the phone, like, Angel just called it. So, I have a question, because it was kind of unclear to me. Did Angel always know since his, this experience in the 50s, that it was this type of demon? Or what, did he just kind of put that together? Well, no, because he goes to that bookshop. Oh, duh. Yeah. Of course. You're, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so stupid. So I think, like, he didn't bring up the Thessalite demon before because he wasn't sure if it was still there. But when he hears the whispering, that's when he lets Wesley know. That's when he lets Wes and Cordelia know. Thank you. I... I consider myself a very smart person. I will say though, sometimes when sometimes stories are yeah, yeah, sometimes when stories are told non-linear linearly, um, with like heavy flashback use, sometimes I have to take some extra minutes to connect yeah. how the dots fit together. Yeah. It makes watching Lost very interesting. Yeah, yeah. a Thessalic demon is a a Thessalic demon is a paranoia demon. It feeds on its victims' inner insecurities and preys on them through whispers. Hey, we've been noticing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, Angel thinks that it's been there since before the Hyperion was built, and uh, he thinks that it's still there, and uh, he wants to raise it and kill it. 
Um, and uh, they get. He's like, "Hey, get a hold of Gun. We need the muscle." Yay! Yeah, Gun's yeah. Gun is Gun is in those credits. He's gonna show up in the <laughs> yeah. episode. Damn it. Yep. <laughs> J. August Richards is getting paid regardless. So Hell to the yes. Bring to work. Um, but Wesley asks, like, "Oh." Do you want to like me to research the ritual in order to make this thing corporeal? He's like, I've already done it, and that's when we get this bookshop, and uh, it's really great. Um, Angel walks in. He's like looking. He wants information on like mystical creatures and demons, and uh, the owner, whose name is Denver. Denver. Yeah. Um, he's like, uh, oh, here. How about this? Throws a Bible, and um, and it immediately. Uh, Thank you. Okay. My husband brought me wine because I'm out of sake. <laughs> but yeah, it immediately burns Angel's hands. Uh, so I did. I don't think that's something that's been in the mythos. That's totally new, and it's funny. I was reading the um, pour my wine. Um, I was reading the uh, trivia on the episode on the wiki. And they mentioned that, and they were like, oh, this is, like, a new thing that's never been established. And I was like, oh, well, there's probably, like, a cross on it, because a lot of Bibles have crosses yeah, it, on yeah. it. Um, but I was specifically looking for that, and it doesn't. It just says Holy See, Bible. And, th- and this is, like, why I, um, this is why I like the Vampire Diaries so much, because, well, one of the reasons. <laughs> uh, but I like their mythos a little bit. There are things about their mythos that I enjoy more than Buffy's because Mm -hmm. they actually remove pretty much all of the Christianity Mm -hmm. from it, uh, from the aspect of the vampires. Because Elena does ask Stefan, like, oh, what about, like, I mean, what about holy water? He's like, I mean, gets things wet. (laughs) What about about crucifixes? Decorative. Uh, It is, I mean, it's so... That's so interesting because, yeah, you, obviously you have this very Christian-centric um, idea of what vampires are weak to, mm-hmm. which is pretty common across vampire mythology. But that does beg the question of, like, one, does that confirm that, like, Christianity is yeah. right? What about vampires who predate Christianity? I have seen two... I can't remember what they were, but, like, two vampire franchises or movies or books or whatever that kind of provided explanations for those and i can't remember what they were specifically but one uh posited that like crosses are um vampires are naturally like that is a weakness is the cross and that's why christianity adopted the cross which i think is interesting um and then I've seen uh, there's another one where it's it's not the cross specifically, it's the faith of the person mm. um, using I, it. That so, sounds familiar, but I can't yeah, remember, I cannot remember what it is. But like, if you are not Christian and don't have faith in Christianity, cross is going to be useless. But if you're say Jewish, something relevant to your faith would be helpful. And I think okay. that's just a cool way. That is cool. Um, I love vampire mythology because there's so much you can play with yeah. and change and, uh, it up. And, and yeah. the Vampire Diaries, you actually get a chance to learn about the origins of the vampires. Um, this leads to the 
original vampires who are characters that are so important <laughs> they got their own spinoff. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and it is. I, I I guess I like that you have you're able to have something that's not tied to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I like that. It's a nice it's a nice breath of fresh air. But anyway, we're talking about Angel here, and uh, yeah. So um, at first it looks like Denver's like uh, chasing him out, and he's got a cross and a stake. Then Angel's just like. All right, you're going to help me. Don't try any of that Van Helsing Jr. crap again. Yeah. I listen, though. Uh, props to Denver. Yeah, I, no, like, like he badass. recognized him as an as a as a vampire, and then like so, and then I mean, fairly effective way of at mm-hmm. least surprising him. Yeah, do so, you think Denver should be a recurring character on the Sister Badass and Nurse Gretel spinoff? Well, that'd be hard because it's the fifties. So an older Denver, older Denver, or maybe, uh, maybe there's a, you know, Sister Badass and Nurse Gretel are older, so maybe flashbacks to like Ooh. maybe they ran in the same circle. Oh, maybe their mentor okay. is Denver. Okay, mm, maybe right. this experience changes him. All right, I like uh, this. but yeah, so, um, yeah, so what we're so we find out that Frank the Bellhop has uh, cut the body into pieces in order to get into the meat locker. Gross. This dude is... It, I'm sorry. This dude was going to shoot a bunch of people even without <laughs> the paranoia demon. Well, he's yeah. a fucking creep. Well, yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about the lynching scene for a second. Where he's like, even after everyone else is like, like oh my god, what have horrifying. we done? He's like, yeah, he deserved it. Oh my god. This uh, dude. But, yeah. Um, but Judy does hear... Um, but yeah, the, so the guests are arguing still about what about the murder, and Judy's like thinking that she's going to go to prison. The paranoia. Uh, Angel and Denver are talking. Uh, he learns about the Thessalac demon and that it has to be corporeal. Um, it's really funny because Denver's like, "Oh, so I guess you were turned around the same age, the, uh, around the same age that I am now." I was like, "How old are you? 30? He's like. No. <laughs> Angel took offense at that. Uh, I don't look 30. <laughs> David, buddy, you do now. How old would he be at this David Boreanaz event? He probably would have been, I don't know, around 30. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, he gives, so Denver gives him, like, all the stuff that he needs, including a magic orb and an axe to kill the, the corporeal demon when it does happen. Uh, and Denver is like, uh, why is a vampire trying to slay a demon in order to help some humans? And he's like, I don't really know it myself. So the seeds are planted. Oh. Uh, but yeah. Hope nothing super traumatic happens. <laughs> but yeah, but now everybody at the hotel is uh, accusing <laughs> accusing everybody else of murder. Uh, the private eye shows up, that asshole, and uh, he's trying to find Judy. Shows in the picture, and when Angel gets back into the hotel, it is an empty lobby. We then get a really cool transition into Wesley Gunn and Cordelia showing up to uh, attempt the ritual. Uh, I love, um, I love when Wesley's like, uh, "Orb of was it an orb of Thessalac? Uh, it was orb of something." So the orb of Thessala is the yeah. That's how to reinstall Angel. Yeah. I, I don't see why that would have been something here, but... 
the names are super similar, and you're not being helpful, Wiki. But yeah, I, I did notice that. But anyway, he like asks for the orb, and and Gun's like, "Orb, please, gets it done." And he's like, "Well, be very careful. It's very fragile." And Gun just tosses it to him. <laughs> I love it. Um, and w- Angel's like to the two of them. He's like, "You can't believe whatever it's whispering to you." And Cordy's like, "No, they were like this the whole time." <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they are um, they are attempting the raising. And uh, Angel eventually gets into the hallway where everybody is, and they're all, like, basically trying to drag Judy off. And uh, Judy points at Angel, saying, that, like, oh, um, he's a monster. He drinks blood. And so everybody's like, let's get Angel. And, they, and of course, Angel's unfortunately has the ritual stuff and a large axe. They're like, what the fuck are you up to and so now we get very uncomfortable scene in which this uh this mob is ready to go and they uh they have a noose and they hang angel from the uh from the second floor um Mm -hmm. off of that and he's just hanging there and as we mentioned after it happens everybody's like Oh my god, what have we done? Except for the bellhop. Yep. He's like, yeah, yeah, he deserved it. And he eventually comes around, but a doppeldiener, man. Yeah. Or as a, or fake Moby in, <laughs> uh, in the, uh, in How I Met Your Mother, or Phoebe. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. I saw that online. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so everybody kind of leaves. Judy immediately is regretful. Mm-hmm. But I mean, too I late because Angel's dead. I feel so bad for Judy. Like, like obviously, what she did was terrible, but all, what was happening to her was terrible. Like, yeah. I mean, her life was being threatened, and you know, I, I I don't know that I would do the same thing in in that position. But I totally can empathize with doing whatever is necessary to mm-hmm. save your own life. Yeah. So Angel. Obviously, Angel's already dead, so the hanging won't hurt him. He gets himself out of the noose, and then the Thessalac demon appears, and he's like, Oh, man, I am stuffed. That was awesome. <laughs> and, but then he mentions, they're like, yeah, they were all kind of really... They were all kind of uh, really, like, paranoid, but... Judy was the one who gave him the biggest meal uh, because Angel actually kind of restored her faith in humanity, which led to a much harsher fall into paranoia. Yeah. And Angel, and he's just like, you know, if you want, there are other people in this hotel that need your help. And Angel just says, you can have them and walks away. Huh. Um, so now, go to the present day. Thessalac, uh sees Angel, and he's always like, Ah, so you brought me more paranoid people, especially that one. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing at Wesley. He's like, What? What does he mean by that? And, um, not to be too spoilery, but do you think that this is uh, the very beginning of a setup for 
Or maybe like a little bit more of a setup for stuff that happens later on in the series? Um, I or do you think it's just a funny throwaway? I think it is funny. I think a lot of things in this episode uh, set up stuff. Not talking, just the yeah. Hyperion. Yeah, um, I am talking specifically about Wesley at this yeah, point. I, I think so, yes. Um... Uh, Angel's actions in the flashback also mm-hmm. provide a lot of context yeah. for some other stuff that happens. Um, trying to be as vague as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... We're trying. Yeah. I, I think just outside of the Hyperion appearing uh, and becoming the new home base, this episode is super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, sorry to delve into mild <laughs> spoiler territory. But... Uh, yeah. So the Thessalite demon does appear. Angel's like, yeah, you know what? You had your last, you had your last meal a while ago. And, uh, so there is a fight. It's very short. Um, and, uh, Angel, who had originally turned the lights on at the fuse box in the, in the hotel, Anton's Chekhov, Anton Chekhov's smoking fuse box. (laughs) He, uh, he grabs one of the tentacles and, uh basically wraps around the fuses and electrifies the demon to death. Can we talk about the testicles joke? <laughs> Where Angel's like, look out for the tentacles, and Cordelia's like, the what? <laughs> and Wesley's like, he said tentacles. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the Thessalac? Just, like, design-wise. It's very unique. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a... Um, it's, like, a really interesting kind of, like... Not standard demon face, like not a vampire face, but still like a maybe, maybe it is standard demon face. But I like the addition of the tentacles mm-hmm. and just like the fact that he kind of hovers. Yeah, the pretty- ho- the hovering with like the very long robe is really cool. It's not it's not a particularly frightening monster, but um, it, it it's not it's not like oh. That's I don't believe that that's that's it, and I mean the tentacles kind of like do hint towards like oh he re- he's reaching into people's minds. Mm, yeah, um, I do think the Thessalac is very f- frightening, but it's not its appearance that I find frightening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what he does. It's how he operates yeah. because the that sort of paranoia and the fact that the episode ties it to a very specific moment in history. Um, is very, very scary. Yeah, so once that's done, Angel goes into room 214, and Judy is sitting there. Um, she's very old. She's been there for 50 years, and uh, the Thessalac demon has been feeding on her, on her paranoia, while saying that, like, he's going to keep her safe as long as she doesn't open the door. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Angel, she... And this is when we get, like, one of the best lines in there. She's, she sees Angel. She's like, you look the same. And he's like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And uh, she keeps trying to apologize for killing him. And and you know what? Angel does believe in forgiveness because he does forgive her. Yeah. And um, she's, she, wants to, she wants to leave and go outside, but she wants to lie down for a little bit first. And when she lies down, she passes away. This is a really beautiful scene. It is. And I love that this takes the priority over a big fight with the Thessalac demon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, 
So Wesley is just like, well, what do you think he meant by that? What do you think he meant by the paranoid? And uh, Cordelia, Cordelia's like, oh, I'm so happy to get out of here. But that's when Angel says, no, we're moving in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Wes is like, Angel, you should appreciate this more than anybody else. This is an evil place. And Angel says, not anymore. Just like him. And uh, and Wesley uh, and Wesley says, Angel, do you think I'm do you think I'm very paranoid? It's like. Not very. It's like, oh, good. I was worried. <laughs> um, Which is a nice light note to end on a really heavy episode. It is. But yeah, that is Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Uh, an episode that Harrison has really been looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that I really do enjoy that episode. It is, um, like I said, it's very unique in that it is mostly flashback. And that's where your story is. And, uh, it's, they're, they're obviously, like, obviously the theme of Angel is, you know, trying to make up for the sins of your past. Right. And I feel like we've had so many, we've had overall the same kind of way of that being done in Angel's arc on Buffy and in season one of Angel, but it's really nice that you can have a almost completely different type of story and it's a brand new way to tell a theme tell a story with a theme that we know and that's great mm-hmm. like it makes for a really good story um the only really gripe i have about this episode is that it starts off a little slow um i was uh i actually had to leave mid episode to go to my boxing class <laughs> but uh but yeah i just remember thinking like I remember this being a good, but I also remember it like kind of being a little faster, maybe. Mm. Um, and I mean, it is kind of setting up the atmosphere. Uh, I just think it moves just a tad too slow, and that keeps it a little ways away from the perfection, uh, from the perfection score. But no, very strong episode. Um, obviously, kind of all about Angel, but uh, but you know that's that's totally cool. Um, we're going to definitely going to have more episodes that focus on the minor kid that focus on our other main characters. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is such a cool story to tell and a very fun way to tell it. Um, I, I love that this episode introduces the idea that angel is not just atoning for the sins of Angelus, but also, some of the sins that he committed after he was insulted. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously love the Hyperion. Um, I think it's my third favorite base of operations in the Buffyverse. Um, I'm going to go... Library. Library is obviously number one. Magic shop. Magic box is number two. Hyperion is number three. Um, my number four is a massive spoiler, but it is the one I alluded to yeah, earlier. I figured. Um, <laughs> but wait, what about the initiative? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the base that never was. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love, I love the story it's telling about Angel. I love, um, yeah, it is all about Angel. Cordy Gunn and Wesley have really minor roles here, and they're largely 
perfunctory roles. They're here to perform certain things that the plot needs to move forward, but that's fine for an episode. Like, yeah. Um, if that was how they were treated every week, I would not be happy. Yeah. But sometimes you just need characters there to perform certain roles in the plot. And that's okay. Um, I just, and I, yeah, I just think it's telling such an interesting story in its flashback and t- tying it to this moment with McCarthyism and Huack and all that um, gives the horror of the, grounds the horror of the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to say this demon feeds on paranoia. And yeah, that's scary on its own. But to relate it to this period of time where paranoia was rampant and ruined lives... Um, that's very frightening. And, and, you know, unfortunately we are seeing a rise of that kind of conservatism. We saw it in the eighties, like you mentioned with Reaganism and we're seeing it again with Trumpism. Um, yeah, especially, um, obviously towards, um, Mexican immigrants, mm-hmm. actually immigrants in general. Um, and, uh, definitely with the coronavirus, the, uh, anti-Asian hate is on the rise Mm -hmm. and that is horrible. It's horrible. And police brutality, particularly against black people, um, it's not been good for transgender people. Like it's just, yeah, unfortunately this sort of shit's cyclical, um, so it's a, it's, it's a timely episode, even though it aired, 21 years ago well it i mean felt so timely yeah and unfortunately these are themes that are rampant in american history i mean you have to think how many how many episodes of star trek the original series were like basically based on conflicts uh that arose mm-hmm. because of the cold war yeah um and yeah. how those episodes still remain timely today mm-hmm but yeah, and yet people want to say Star Trek was never political. Oh my God. Fuck off. Yeah, that's uh, only people who don't like black people being in Star Trek. Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm going to give this episode four point five, with an emphasis on the point five uh, <laughs> bodies in the meat locker. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so it's a five for me. I know. Um, yeah. It's I I. I, I understand what you're saying about maybe the pacing of the early episode, but the payoff is fantastic. It, yeah, no, it's I can. It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I um, it's a five five tentacles out of five. <laughs> um, I was I, I was I have a ranking of my top ten Buffy episodes, um, but I've never tried to rank my top ten Angel ones. So, I tried to do this the other day. I'm less familiar with Angel than I am with Buffy, so it was a little more difficult. For reference, if anyone cares, for uh, Buffy, it's in no particular order. Actually, this is in a particular order. I was order. about to say, like, it's, you have a good, you have an order about this. It's, it's just, well, it's just going to be, like, chronologically through the series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's passion. It's becoming parts one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hush. It's Restless. It's season five's No Place Like Home, um, which was not always on the list, but it's on there now. Uh, the Gift and the um, Body. The Body, The Gift, Once More With Feeling, 
Um, Tabby Larraza, is that on there? Selfless conversations with dead people. Okay. Tabula Rasa is like probably at like <laughs> eleven somewhere in the teens. <laughs> that one's so good. Um, and my top three are becoming the gift in the body, mm-hmm. um, which is not an uncommon opinion amongst fans. Like those three episodes are honestly like the only thing that top three is missing is once more with feeling, which is fair. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it, if we're talking about like the fan thing, but yeah. anyway, you're saying about your angel For episodes, angel, it's a little more difficult. Um, but I've narrowed down a top five to not fade away. Yeah. Obviously that's the series finale. Um, oh my God. Uh, this episode, are you now, or have you ever been Uh season ones? Um, I've got you under my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, also an episode that I fucking love. Spin the bottle. Uh, spin the bottle is definitely in the top ten. Um, it doesn't crack the top five. Um, that's going to go to your welcome. Oh yeah, and shells. Oh. But uh, spin the bottle. Smile time. Smile time. Um, we're sorry if we're like just <laughs> we're, we're teasing the shit yeah. out of you guys with all these great episodes coming up. Um, lullaby, I think. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it, but I will just say the final scene in the wine cellar, if that, sorry, all I could think of was the cask of Montiano. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an angel episode. That's a fucking... I'll, I'll tell you off mic. Um, yeah. And then, um, oh shit, I had it in my brain. Oh, a hole in the world. Yeah. Um, oh, so actually that that was ten. Um, I did it! I finally All know right. what my top ten favorite angel episodes are. They just have to are. put them in order. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, full five, full. full but yeah, five. so this is a uh, so this is the second episode we've come across of Angel that's in Harrison's top ten. Yeah, uh, and there's so much more to come. There's so, it, it, I mean, for the most part, Angel just gets better and better. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. <laughs> well, we won't mention <laughs> other name, but anyway, uh, um, is there anything else you want to say about this great episode? Just that I like it so much. I it's also I I uh, my understanding is that it is a favorite of the cast and crew as well. Um, I think uh, I think David Boreanaz has said that this is one of his favorites. Um, that tracks uh, it, which. He gets to do so much in this episode and play so many different layers mm-hmm. and two very different versions of of our boy. Um, oh, gay agenda. Um, it's hot fifties angel. Like, so um, it's originally stated that when Angel first starts connecting with Judy, it's outside of an observatory, and uh, that immediately made me think of. The Observatory from Rebel Without a Cause, which um, some people argue is an essential queer movie. Um, Not seen it, so... So, I've I've seen it. I didn't exactly get the queer vibes from it, but I also can admit that I wasn't looking for it at the time. But uh, I have a couple of uh, friends, one who is um, extremely into queer studies, like he's teaching... um, he teaches writing specifically um, about like 
and his writings, his own personal writings, very much are about queer experiences. And he sent me an article about how queer people today view Rebel Without a Cause as like kind of one of those movies that's extremely hmm. had a whole bunch of queer subtleties that maybe weren't apparent then but are apparent now. Definitely have to check that out. Yeah. It's Dean Kane, right? No. Or not Dean Kane. Oh my god. Uh no, James Dean. James Dean, thank you. Oh my god. No. It's okay. Dean it's Dean. okay. It's okay. Um I well that James Dean was very likely queer. Um we don't know for sure because obviously he, he died yes, tragically. He only starred young. in three movies. He was only in three movies. Giant, Rebel Cause, Giant and, and East of Eden. East of Eden. Harrison's favorite book. Uh, I also really don't like the movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I, I the only, I, I do my best to try to only watch movies of, of books that I've already read if I'm planning on reading them. So I haven't seen the Grapes of Wrath movie and I haven't seen the East of Eden movie because I want to read both of them. So, obviously, I love East of Eden and will recommend it highly. The movie, I need to revisit the movie and let it on its own terms like we were discussing earlier uh, about certain Doctor Who episodes um, it fails as an adaptation of the novel um, it misses the point in my opinion uh, well that's, and that's, that's, that's rough um, but it's probably a good movie like just like on its own yeah. um, there is a mini series that came out in the 80s it's three episodes and each episode is like two and a half hours long oh boy um, and it's uh, stars Jane Seymour uh, and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> it is so good because it, it, I mean, that book is fucking long and it is an epic. It is by definition an epic and um, it gets it all right, I think. Oh, it also stars um, Karen Allen, aka um, fuck, what's her name? <laughs> uh, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, Marion? Yes, Marion. Uh, she's very good. Okay. Um, so, East of Eden, great book. Movie I didn't care for, but I will revisit. Very good miniseries, but it is an investment in your time. Okay. Um, A lot of good things tend to be. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess if that's it. That's it. Now that we're done talking about John Steinbeck novels on this <laughs> on this Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast... <laughs> Uh, Harrison, take us out. I will take us out. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'm Booz and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Buffy Season 5, Episode 3, The Replacement, which is a Xander episode. And I'm here, ladies and gents and everyone else, to tell you, it's a really good Xander episode. If it's the episode that I think it is, I think we're in for a, I think we're in for a pretty fun watch. It's, it's fun, and I think... It, our um, our opinions of Xander are going to be very different from the opinions of Xander yeah. at the beginning of the series. I think that I will just... Dude, gross. This is the moment where Xander... The lesson he learned in the Zeppo, he has to learn again. But it kind of sticks this time. I like, mean, and, and he's dumb, so he has to learn <laughs> things. <laughs> but we'll get to that next week. Yeah. Um, I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij357 and on Twitter at just plain old yamij. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you hype, can. Harrison's my hype man. <laughs> 
I am Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman or on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Follow me on Twitter. I My tweets range from really horny to really depressed. Um, <laughs> Just like your life. Yep. <laughs> I also write a blog, uh, Horror by Harrison dot blogspot.com where I write a di- about a different horror movie every week um I'll be real I'm a little behind on my posts um but in the upcoming weeks uh or upcoming week hopefully I'll just write a bunch this week you will find my reviews on let the right one in the oh, Swedish version cool um uh on the subject of the shining uh it's sequel dr sleep uh. And, uh, I don't remember what's after that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And hopefully I'll get back to being better about working on my actual screenplays. <laughs> You're doing fine, man. Thank you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us with anything, including calling us out if, uh, if we do not realize the false equivalencies between queer people and, uh, and mixed race people in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. In all of those instances, the and is spelled out A-N-D. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast of choice. Um, Jason, hero that he is, pointed out that we were not showing up on Spotify for this season. And that has since been remedied. Hooray! So uh, it was... Uh, Weird thing in an update on GarageBand that was causing the issue. It's been fixed. Good. Like Eat. a dog. <laughs> <Eat>. <laughs> Sorry, I don't... Can we strike that from the... <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> Each week, we like to give a shout-out to a ch- worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we're highlighting the National Women's Law Center. The National Women's Law Center fights for gender justice in the courts, in public policy, and in our society, working across the issues that are central to the lives of women and girls. They use the law in all its forms to change culture and drive solutions to the gender gender inequity that shapes our society and to break down the barriers that harm all of us, especially women of color, LGBTQ people, and low-income women and families. For nearly 50 years, they have been on the leading edge of every major legal and policy victory for women. Visit www.nwlc.org for more information. Yes. And as always, go slay. NPKA? And haunt a hotel. (laughs) In your spare time.